This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Events over the past few months have been, if I'm really honest, terrifying. Wildfires in Europe have burned an area equivalent to one-fifth of Belgium. Firefighters in France have had to arm themselves with equipment from six EU nations as they try to battle what they're calling a monster blaze. China is suffering its worst drought on record. The Yangtze River, Asia's longest waterway, is now at record low levels. And a third of Pakistan is underwater. Right, so he's saying, look at us, everything is absolutely soaked, everything is ruined. We're trying to save everything. They're saying that everything was drowned in water. We usually think about how these kinds of events impact us, humans. We perhaps consider a little less what they mean for everything else. But even without extreme weather, the natural world is under incredible strain. Which is why the world's governments are meeting for a conference later this year, COP15, with the aim of protecting the whole of the Earth's biodiversity. No small task. Back in March, we took a look at COP15 as early negotiations kicked off in Geneva. At the time, it wasn't clear if and when it would happen. But now, a date and a place has been set. In just under 100 days, it'll all begin in Montreal, Canada. So, what needs to happen before Montreal to make sure it's a success? And will all this actually set us on a path of undoing the destruction of the natural world? From The Guardian, I'm Madeleine Finlay, and this is Science Weekly. Phoebe Weston, as a biodiversity reporter, this summer's probably been quite 
difficult for you, as well as somebody who loves the environment. There have been record-breaking extreme weather events, which have ravaged much of the planet. And we've heard a lot about the human costs associated with these, but not so much about the impact that they might be having on biodiversity as well. And this is something that's already under quite a lot of strain. Perhaps you can paint us a picture of what's going on in the natural world right now. It's under pressure from all directions. And I found this summer quite surreal. Being in 40 degree heat, I've never been in 40 degree heat before and it just felt very weird. But this is also impacting the natural world in ways that we actually don't understand at the moment. It's quite hard to know how things like extreme heat and drought is impacting our wildlife. But we know it is having a big impact. We're seeing ecosystems collapsing around the world. There's been loads of studies about loss of wildlife. There was a study from Germany that suggested 75% of flying insects have been lost in the past 25 years. And this is like the basis of ecosystems. If you think about wildlife as maybe like a Jenga, I don't know if you played Jenga, but that game where you take out wooden blocks and try and place them on top. And every time you take out a wooden block, your tower gets less stable. And we currently have a very tall tower with many blocks missing. And that means climate change and other pressures could cause our very unstable tower to tumble. So what are those other pressures aside from the climate crisis? So there are five main drivers of biodiversity loss. The main one is land use, it's destruction of habitats. And if you think about the way the natural world looks, a lot of the land area is farmed to make food. And so that has caused a loss of natural habitats. Um, Then, of course, we have pollution like plastic pollution, pesticides. We have invasive species. And then the last driver is extraction of natural resources. So things like taking groundwater and stuff, which impacts um, ecosystems as well. So this hugely important, hugely complex picture, all of this takes us to the COP15 conference, which now is less than 100 days away. And for those who don't remember our previous episode on it, which we did in March, what is COP15? What is this meeting about? COP15 is the biodiversity conference. So most people will be more familiar with the climate conference. And we're now on COP27. Now, these two are sort of unrelated conferences, although there are obviously lots of links between biodiversity and climate. It's called COP for Conference of the Parties. And it's 15 because it's the 15th one we've had. And it is going to be in Montreal in December. And the aim of this conference is to basically stop the destruction of nature on our planet. And this COP is really important because it is going to lay out the next 10 years of UN biodiversity targets. So we've already had two sets of biodiversity targets and we've unfortunately failed on almost all of them. So it'll set out the next targets for saving the natural world up until 2030. So really important. And we're hoping for sort of a Paris-style moment for nature. And we spoke to your colleague and friend of the podcast Patrick Greenfield in March because talks have been ongoing and he was in Geneva at negotiations and at that time 
the main talks were supposed to be in Kunming in China. As you said, they've moved now to Montreal and Canada. So what's happened since March? What's been going on with the negotiations leading up to this main event in December? So in March, as Patrick said, I think in the podcast, like I don't know if they will be held in Kunming because of China's COVID policy. So the event was meant to be in August. And this was after a few years of delays. The original event was meant to be in 2020. And then August was fast approaching and there'd been nothing from China about what was happening or kind of set up. And people were like, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? And I think what that did is reduce kind of people's confidence and faith in the process. And that's really important in conferences like these, because countries are coming together. It's based on goodwill that we come to a good agreement. So the fact that there was sort of a bit of a silence from China was a bit um, unnerving for countries and maybe made them less inclined to engage in negotiations. Then there were further talks in Nairobi in July. And at that point, China still has the presidency, but it was agreed that the conference would be held in Montreal in Canada instead in December. Okay, so the fact that everyone has been given this extra bit of time to prepare. Has there been more progress on the negotiations? The talks in Nairobi were kind of mixed. People saying that China was still a bit quiet on leadership. It's really important in these events to have a strong leader who kind of is taking the process seriously because it sets the precedent for other countries. There was a bit of scepticism about the sort of top line figures of COP, which is protecting 30% of land and sea by 2030, with some countries, less developed countries, saying you're not going to give us the money to do this. And then there's obviously Brazil and Bolsonaro, and they're quite sort of devious in the talks and try to perhaps make coming to an agreement harder. And of course, we definitely need Brazil to be cooperative because that's where the Amazon rainforest is, really important biodiversity hotspot. So you mentioned one of the main goals there, 30 by 30, protecting 30% of Earth's land and seas by 2030. But I know that there are some other big headline targets up for debate as well. What are they? Unlike Climate Cop, which is quite simple, stop producing greenhouse gases, there's 20 targets for COP15, or there will be, and they're kind of in draft form at the moment. As you say, 30 by 30 is the main one. Other draft targets include eliminating plastic pollution, halving the rate of introduction of invasive species. Another one is rewiring subsidies. So at the moment, agricultural subsidies go towards helping farmers essentially destroy the environment by farming in an unsustainable way. And the idea of changing the way subsidies work is instead of funding them to do that, you'd fund them to work with nature, so farm in a way that is more sympathetic to the environment. So there's 20 goals, each one as complicated and as difficult to negotiate as the other. Now it's just under 100 days, 97 right now to be exact, until COP15. There must be a lot that has to happen in that time. What needs to be done next? Yeah, there's (laughs) there's so much to do. So I think talks were a bit slow in Nairobi. Essentially, we have a draft text with loads of brackets everywhere and we need to sort out the brackets. 
and come to agreements on what we can and can't say, just like we did with the climate talks. We're a bit behind schedule because of COVID, people not being able to communicate in person. All of these delays has kind of created uncertainty. But now we really need to work up towards Montreal. So there's going to be some meetings, I think, between now and Montreal. And then there's going to be another mini meeting before Montreal starts to try and clean up the text a bit. Assuming that does happen, fingers crossed, All of this is taking place right after the climate summit, COP27, in Egypt. It's just as the Men's Football World Cup kicks off. Terrible timing. Terrible (laughs) timing. And there's a long way to go too. We've got the war in Ukraine, the cost of living crisis, droughts, floods, COVID, as you mentioned. It's a lot. There's a lot happening So how optimistic do you actually feel? Because particularly when the climate cops haven't actually brought about that much progress yet, CO2 emissions are still going up. How much can we and should we expect from this process? Yeah, there is so much going on. I think it's a for someone who doesn't like football, it's like really bad that the World Cup's happening at the same time because lots of people will be distracted. Uh, it also decreases the chance of world leaders getting involved in the COP negotiations. There's also other pressures on world leaders, namely the war in Ukraine, which has encouraged people to say, oh, we, you know, we don't have time for this green stuff. We can't transform our economies. We've got to just get people through the next few years. The cost of living crisis, there's no money to invest in green issues. So there's lots of things going against this being a good agreement. However, I think that people are really starting to get the message about the climate and biodiversity crisis because we're actually living it. We are seeing with our own eyes how important these global agreements are. I think in years gone by, they've seen as something like a bit abstract. It's complicated. It's happening in another country. You know, it's easy to ignore, but actually we can no longer ignore the climate and biodiversity crises. So I hope there'll be lots of pressure on negotiators and heads of state to make sure that we do get really good agreements. Well, Phoebe, we'll be checking back in with you in December. Thank you very much. Thanks, Maddie. Thanks again to Phoebe Weston. We've put a link to the coverage of COP15 on the podcast webpage at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. The producer was me, Madeline Finlay, with additional production by Rachel Porter. The sound design is by Tony Onachuku. And the executive producer was Max Sanderson. We'll be back on Tuesday. See you then. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. 
Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>